It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem dropped the ball! Turn, picks a flow! And touchdown! Hell is frozen over! Of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Welcome in to another episode of Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer. We managed to track Steve Geller down. He got back from foggy old London town in one piece. Give How's it going, Steve? Doing great. I uh, feel like I've adjusted uh, after, you know, one day back. So I'm hoping that the Saints players feel the same way. I know we heard from some of them, boy, talking about there's you know, a lot of guys are still getting readjusted but a good uh night's rest and didn't wake up until about 6 7 a.m Orleans time so it wasn't like i was still really stuck back in the, the london uh time frame and uh yeah that six hour difference is really brutal uh, yeah i can imagine i had to wake up at 4 a.m once and i am still yes not exactly there it. you go not complaining game bit at all all right and inside black and gold is brought to you by the lamarck automotive complex there must be a reason. And we're going to get into, you know, a player that really never did get back from London. <laughs> and that's Latavius Murray. Guy had 10 carries, 57 yards and a touchdown. Apparently it was enough to make other teams sit up and take notice. He was signed by the Broncos off the Saints practice squad. Reports were that the Saints did offer him a spot on their 53. He turned it down and took another, another situation which I, I it makes sense. You know, it would have been really frustrating if this the answer was, well, we were just trying to stash him back on the practice squad and not give him an option, not give him a roster spot after showing out and leading the team and rushing as a practice squad elevation. They did try to sign him to the 53, did not work. You know, I think the timing worked against the Saints in more ways than one. One being that was the only game on television and the Broncos definitely watched it. <laughs> the other thing, uh, if you remember back in the 2020 season, Latavius absolutely went off against the Broncos in that game where the Broncos didn't have a quarterback. That might have been ringing in their ears a little bit when they were trying to figure out what to do because the final element was, was the Broncos, Javante Williams, to a season-ending injury, and now they're sitting there with just Melvin Gordon. And if you're Latavius Murray, you're looking at that and you're licking your chops because you could be the RB1 in that situation by the end of the season. Melvin Gordon isn't exactly locking down that spot. So, you know, good for him. He, he got his chance. He was sitting on his couch a month ago. You know, now he's got a chance to really kind of make it on a, on a team that needs a running back and good for him. You know, it's hard to, hard to root against that guy. Yeah, I guess we'll hopefully look at it as, as a, a positive that, Maybe Alvin Kamara ready to get back in the swing of things for the Saints. I know when Latavius Murray was definitely to from the practice squad to the act roster for week four, it, it was definitely a red flag where you went, uh-oh, are we going to even see Kamara this game? Because, you know, why, why elevate Murray then? And injury, though, even to Mark Ingram against the Vikings became that concern because you had, Tony Jones Jr., who is inactive, so you were left with Dwayne Washington and Latavius Murray. So the running back, something the Saints didn't address today, uh, even though there were a few roster moves. Yeah, I mean, I think Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram is is your is your go-to. Sure. Um, I am interested to see what happens with Tony Jones. Like I, he's been inactive the last two weeks, right? And and two weeks ago, you didn't even have Latavius called up. So there was, you know, you did have Alvin Kamara at some level. I don't know. I would probably peg him at like 80% of what he would normally be. He didn't look right, right to me. Um, but you didn't have Latavius active. And Tony Jones was was inactive as well. Tony Jones was inactive this week with Alvin Kamara down. So, you know, it's clear that you don't have a ton of faith in Tony Jones. Yeah, I mean, you. you I don't know how else you could project that. What's Divine Azigbo up to right now? Yeah, I mean, that that was the weird thing about this this offseason. And I think Divine Azigbo might be somewhere. He might be on the Broncos. Didn't they? He is on the Broncos. Wow, okay. Yeah, they, they remember the Broncos uh, signed him on waivers. 
And he's on the Broncos practice squad now. So maybe okay. the Saints, the they Saints could theoretically go return the favor and, and sign Divina Zigbo off their practice squad. But that would be kind of a that would be a thirsty move at best. <laughs> um I don't know. It, it's just it's frustrating to watch a team get outmaneuvered a lot in that way. And you know, it's not their fault to some extent. Like they didn't know Latavius was gonna go out there and ball like he did. I don't think they expected it. So, like, why would they have made him one of their four protected players on the practice squad? Um, why would they have put him on the 53 before seeing what he had to offer? Um, it just, I think the timing and the, and the situation just just didn't work. Um, or it did work for, for Latavius. It didn't work for the Saints. It's so, so odd that they were the Denver was able to get him, though. I figured he was called up to the active roster and was still, you know, not on the, wasn't on the practice squad right now. But That's I know not how it works. Yeah, you point Twitter uh, the how you know the rule for poaching, I guess. Well, so it, the the thing to the thing to remember, so a practice squad elevation is not the same as just signing someone to your fifty three, right? Like Jake Luton was signed to the fifty three. He's not reverting back to the practice squad after getting elevated. You can get elevated, I want to say, three times before you have to sign someone to the to the fifty three, or you okay. can't do it again, right? Last right. year they did that with Kenny Stills and Kevin White. It's just a way to allow practice squad players to get some run when the situation allows for it, without having to sign them to the fifty three. You know, because that would force you to cut someone, right? If someone's hurt and you haven't been active, you can replace them without having to cut somebody. And so that's what the Saints were taking advantage of with Latavius. Now, by doing that, it opened up the door for the Broncos to come in and poach somebody. In most cases, guys aren't getting poached because you haven't seen them. You don't know what to expect from them. And when you poach a guy, you have to have him on your active roster for at least three weeks. So, you know, you're not going to just do that on a whim. You're going to do it if you need somebody and you're going to do it if you know what to expect from them. And that's exactly what you had with Latavius. So, you know, that's that's what it's a weird situation. And I'm sure that a lot of Saints fans woke up this morning very confused when they heard that he was signed by the Broncos. And they're like, wait, he's on our team. How did they do that? Um, that's why, because he was technically on the practice squad. Yeah, the amount of outrage, obviously, you see social media is pretty amusing considering there's so many other things that are wrong team right now, but the Latavius Denver has really sent a lot of Saints fans over the edge. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I think it's misdirected anger. Sure. You know, there, I, there's righteous anger and there's misdirected anger. Yeah. And I think there's just a lot of, a lot of frustration boiling all over the edge right now. Or for a team that you expected to be more effective as an offense, particularly, you know, yeah, I mean, everyone's here's how bad it is. The the the, the Saints had f- seven points on the board with four minutes remaining in the third quarter of that game, and people are coming and saying to me, "Wow, the offense looked great." Right, Andy Dalton's the answer. Well, I mean, like, like, like that's that's bleak, guys. That's bleak when that is an improvement. Um, and so, like, I get it. People are frustrated. Um, you got to figure something out. I don't know if the answer is Andy Dalton. You know, we're going to go through a lot of film in the back half of this show. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, stood out to me when you're watching the Vikings play the Saints is like they're giving up the middle of the field. They're saying, you know, you're not going to beat us deep. We're going to sit on these routes and we're going to try to intercept them. You know, like they're, they're not trying to take away routes. They are trying to set you up so they can pick them off. And the fact that they didn't, was more of a work on your hands situation than like, you know, not putting the ball in danger. Cause there was at least three possible interceptions there. Cam Dantzler had two of them. Uh, and you know, that that's a questionable Viking secondary. I think that this is a situation where the more you see Andy Dalton, the more you're going to get a book on him in the saints offense. Like, like that's what people aren't considering either is, it's difficult to game plan for a quarterback when you don't know who it's going to be. And they definitely didn't know Andy Dalton was going to be the quarterback until, you know, maybe Wednesday if they, if they were not buying the smoke screen from DA at all. Right. But like they had no reason to think before Wednesday that he, Andy Dalton was going to start that game. And then so even like, Wednesday, I was, I was surprised by the fact that Winston still did address the media, even though he didn't practice. Was, all right. He's, 
He just took the day off on a Veterans Day rest, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, he's going to be back Thursday, like we believed everybody was saying. Right, but my point is, you know, from a from the Viking side of things, sure, right. At best, they had three days. Uh, if they didn't believe Da or Jameis at all on Wednesday, at best they had three days knowing who the quarterback was going to be to prepare for him, right? And so, like that is an advantage to the quarterback. That should be an advantage to the opposing offense, right? You know, if if that it, 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 when you saw Trevor Simeon, for example, come in against the Bucks, he looked a lot more effective. Then the next week when he came in against the Falcons, then the week after that when he came in against the Titans, by the time he faced the bills, you didn't feel like that, that offense was ever going to score a point. Right. And I think that's, you know, when you have a limited quarterback, when he's not going to challenge you downfield and he's not drew Brees, right. (laughs) He's not like a legendary quarterback of like, he can, he can outthink you to the point of, of exhaustion, you're going to get diminishing returns. Um, and so I think if, you know, for this offense to impact games the way it needs to, you got to hope you can get it. James Winston healthy and you got to hope that he can be a better quarterback than he was through the first three weeks. And that's, that's my opinion, but I don't know. A positive adult. We saw a little more action for the tight ends. At least we did. We did. We saw Adam Troutman. He got out of the witness protection program. <laughs> they even ran a tight end screen, which worked, right. you know, and I think that you did a lot of things with Dalton that you need to incorporate into the Jameis Winston offense. You know, the like the tight end screen, the swing passes, you know, keeping teams honest underneath. Or at least, you know, if they're going to try to hold you deep, you have to make them hurt underneath. And you just haven't been able to do that. So this is very close to going off the rails. I really do. Um, the team will tell you the tide is close to turning and maybe it is. But... Uh, you know, this team could very easily be 0-4. You have had a very good contribution from a red zone defense that is held, that is like third, rated third in the NFL. They've held opponents to like a field goal or less on 64% of red zone trips. You know, that's that's a number that's tough to sustain. Um, so, you know, this, it, it could just as easily go the other way, right? You don't want to be 2-9, and nine, you know, because that's... the. You know, I, I don't want to think of how ugly things will be if this team stumbles two, three, four more weeks. Um, you got to get it fixed. No, especially since I know we talked about, obviously, the, the beginning of the year, looking at the schedule, that the quote-unquote easiest part or the most winnable games were in the early part of this season. And, you know, obviously a, a big problem right now is two of your major stars on the offense are not around and contributing with running back Alvin Kamara and wide receiver Michael Thomas. I thought last game I was really surprised on how absent or invisible Jarvis Landry was. I thought he'd be a lot, a much more bigger contributor in that Vikings game, especially with uh, Thomas down and Alvin Kamara. You know, Jarvis, he did his best in that game. I don't, I don't think that he was 100% from that ankle injury, right? Exactly. He's right. going to play through it, but two catches for seven yards, and he did have that two point conversion where they literally just forgot he existed. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that, that's not a performance from a guy where you say, oh, yeah, he's 100%. You know, um, he gutted it out. You appreciate it. You needed it. Um, but yeah, he's he's a guy you need to get healthy. And yeah, if there's an argument to be made for Andy Dalton, it's that, you know, it wasn't a perfect offensive performance by any stretch, but he did do it without Alvin Kamara, without Michael Thomas. Um, and there's something to be said for that. Hopefully you can get them back. At what level? I don't know. No, and a, and a big positive, obviously, we've seen from this offense is rookie Chris Olave is that guy. He's the real deal. He's been doing it, you know, week in and week out for this offense. And you got to figure that teams know that he, he's your primary weapon right now, and there's, he's still making plays. Yeah, I wasn't sure how he was going to um, fare with the Andy Dalton offense, right? It's going to be much different. You're not going to have the deep shots. He only was targeted once deep downfield. He had one nice grab to to set up that Will Lutz 61-yard attempt, right? He had another one on the sideline that he wasn't able to get his foot in bounds. Um, but he did, you know, he had a productive game. He caught a touchdown. I think he had four catches, 67 yards. You know, and, and to be quarterback-proof in that sense, right, you brought him in in large part because you wanted to get Jameis a deep threat. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, that's why he made the most sense, I think, um, as a wide receiver in this offense. And, but you, you, you know, it's easy to be like, okay, what's, what's it going to look like when you're not throwing the ball deep, you're not pushing it deep the way that you would with Jameis. And if he can still be a contributor, then that's a very big positive for a team that has had a lot of negatives go against it. I think one more net, one more positive, um, that I didn't necessarily see coming is I think Cesar Ruiz has been the best offensive lineman through week four of the, of the season on the saints, you know, maybe Eric McCoy, all the other hate that he got. That's great to see from him. And I think we talked about it too early on. It was like, why don't you give him a little time to develop? Obviously. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I get being frustrated as first round pick. You got to be better, but you know, you know, development happens. Right. And the, the annoyance to me, it's not that like, you're annoyed, you know, it's you're frustrated that he's not better than he is at, in his second NFL season. It's that like when a team, when a player is bad as a rookie, when he doesn't succeed as a rookie, he's done. Yeah. Written off. Can't get any better. And, and I think that this season, you know, maybe working with Jari Evans has helped. He struggled in week one. I don't think he should ever get left on an Island against Grady Jarrett again, but you know, the last three weeks he's been solid to good. You know, he's been good in the run game. He's been good in pass pro. You know, your issues have been more on the left side because you have James Hurst and Calvin Throckmorton. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, you expected to have Andrews Pete and Trevor Penning at some point. Um, you have two first round picks that are not out there. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I think as much hate as Andrews Pete gets from Saints fans, it's been pretty glaring to see you know, what life not life is, but what this offensive line is with Throckmorton and without Pete, and it definitely has been suffering, uh, especially those penalties with Throckmorton have been killer. I don't know who or if they're going to make a replacement for him or if, if he can get healthy from that concussion. Yeah, I think you'd like to get Pete back. Right. Um, because I think Throck as a backup is fine, right? In, in spot duty, you feel okay with it an entire game the warts are going to start to show and i think that's what we're seeing from james hurst too james hurst has struggled and you know it's like yeah what the more you see him out there right the more you're able to scout the more you're able to identify weak points the easier they are to beat right i mean that's just that's just facts in the nfl the more tape you have on somebody the more you're going to be able to identify what they do well what they don't where you can beat them where where you need to be careful where you need to give help and the, the book is going to be out on on Hearst. The book is going to be out on Throck. The book is going to be out on Andy. So, yeah. I mean, this the the only thing you can say is like the Seahawks might have the worst defense in the NFL. They allowed forty five points to the to the Lions right. without Amon Ross St. Brown, <laughs> like without their leading receiver, T.J. Hawkinson, single handedly beat me in fantasy this week. Oh, I'm sorry. Like I was, I was, I was projected to win all day, and then all of a sudden I look down and the tight end on the other team has thirty five points. Like what? This guy hasn't like got double digit points all season. All of a sudden he's got thirty five. That's the Seahawks defense. So hey, maybe maybe start Adam Troutman next week. Maybe that's the answer. But it's you got to win unless Jameis is back because he hates throwing to to Troutman. I said this last week. You got to beat the Vikings. You got to beat the Vikings. I'll say it again, even louder. You got to beat the Seahawks. I mean, geez, one and three. Ugh. Like you're, it's not, your season's not over, right? You can come back from one and three. It's, it's not unheard of. Like you need to finish nine and four in yeah. your remaining 13 games. Like that's the math to get to 10 wins, to get comfortably into the playoffs. That is not unreasonable to hope for. But the way this team has played it, right can they really pull that off you start thinking you know well, right the team you've seen over the first four weeks that no, is unreasonable to hope for right no you need confidence to see a different team you need to see a different team and, and in fairness like and i've said this a lot they could they're they're they could just as easily be four and oh right they're they had chances in all of these games they were not the you know they won the, the game that i thought they had the worst chance to win was week one and they won that and game. They pulled that off, right? Somehow, right. In week Meanwhile, two, now Atlanta to, and Tampa you, are playing for first place this week. How wild is that? Right. Well, I mean, in week two, you went to the fourth quarter tied three to three, right? And you had the ball with a chance to take a lead late in the third quarter. 
You know that you you could have won that game. You didn't. Could've, In week three, yeah. you were down six points with twelve minutes left. You could have won that game if the defense got a stop and didn't allow a sixty-seven yard touchdown. Like you could have won that game. Week four, you had a twenty-two to nineteen lead midway through the fourth quarter. You were tied with about four minutes left. Like you could have won that game and you didn't. So like, you right, know, there haven't been blown out or getting like gassed in any of these games. Right. Right. I mean, there, there has, there hasn't been a game that you could comfortably turn off until late, right. like late, late in the fourth quarter, right? The, the end of the Panthers game, you know, the last couple of minutes, you, you didn't feel like you had a chance. And that's largely because of that 67 yard touchdown. Like that's when the game ended. Um, but like, you know, if, if they were losing by 15, 20 points, right? If this was the Bills on Thanksgiving, then you'd be like, all hope is lost. Um, they're right in these games. They just got to figure out how to win. And what's sad is, you know, you as you know, too, it's like, hey, we're finally back home in the Superdome, but the Superdome hasn't really been dome sweet dome of late either. Yeah, I asked Eric McCoy about that today, and he was just like, yeah, we, we got to do better. Like He, he feels bad because the fans pay good money to get in there. And they just absolutely they, they've just been disappointed. It's, it's like there's this vibe around the team that just like you forget that this is a perennially good football team. Right. They don't they're not playing like a team that understands how to win games. Like winning is a skill. Like if, people don't think about it like that. But like, you know, passing, throwing a football is a skill. Catching a football is a skill hurtling over a defender is a skill winning at a football game is a skill playing in a way that wins is a skill in and of itself not everyone has it and the saints are playing like a team that doesn't through four games there's just been so many mistakes and the ones that and they're, they're making them at critical times it just makes you pound your head and wonder why these things keep happening continually the, the turn I don't, I don't know how you fix your turnover issues what what do you do? Do you have the guys like, you know, back in the days of high school, where you have them walking around the facility with a ball in their hand the entire day. Um, and then when it comes to penalties too, everyone talks about, oh, we got to be on the same page, one unit, you know, just uh, working together. But when, when are we going to see that? Because obviously they've been trying to do that over these few, last few weeks and it just hasn't been clicking. Nope. <laughs> nope. And hopefully that'll change. Uh, again, this is Inside Black and Gold brought to you by the Lamarck automotive complex there must be a reason i'm jeff nowak wwl digital sports producer alongside steve geller uh the rest of this podcast we're going to dive into some film the good stuff the good stuff that's been bad it's going to be fun stick around for that make sure to hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. The one-stop shop for all the insider access to everything happening with the New Orleans Saints throughout the 2022 season and beyond. If you haven't subscribed yet, make sure you hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast. Leave a rating, leave a review, let us know what you think. We really enjoy doing this and we like to hear from y'all. And for today's episode, as we do every Wednesday, we're going to dive into a lot of the film that whether you want to talk about the good stuff, whether you want to talk about the bad stuff, the more important parts of the game are the bad stuff that you need to get fixed. So we're going to focus a lot on that. You know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you how great Andy Dalton was. He played fine. He was absolutely what you would hope he would be, which is a high floor low ceiling backup quarterback. I still think he's the backup quarterback. We're going to see in the next few days how that kind of develops with Jameis Winston's health. But for now, you just kind of go with it for what it is. You know, so that's going to be something we talk about. We're also going to talk about Pete Werner in coverage, which, you know, I think the Vikings really targeted him him specifically in this game. I asked him about that today and I have some uh, some comments from him. You know, we're going to get to that. We're going to get into a player that I think has been much maligned in Cesar Ruiz and who has started to shine a little bit, I think. And we're going to get into, you know, Deontay Hardy. There was two returns in this game that just didn't look right. We're going to get into that. And we're going <laughs> to, you know, we're going to talk about some nice things at the end, uh, which we we're going to all wonder what might have been with Latavius Murray is now on the Broncos. But the other practice squad call up, I thought, had a solid day. So we're going to talk about that. But without further ado, let's get right into it. And we're going to start 
as I mentioned, with Sneaky Pete, not Andrews Pete, Pete Warner, in coverage. And, you know, this happened all day long. The first clip here is going to be a rough one. And it's also going to be an example of everyone seems to want to trash Tyron Matthews tackling, right? And the first touchdown, the opening drive touchdown by the Vikings, I think was was a good example of that. And I think it misses the point, which is if your safety is one-on-one having to make a tackle, something went wrong up front. And this is this is a good example of that. This is that screen pass on third and 15. Remember, third and 15, you do not need to get a tackle in the backfield. All you need is to fence the guy in and make sure he doesn't get all 15 yards. If you and if you hold him to fourth and fourth and goal at the three and they go for it, fine. But you make that tackle short of the short of the goal line and you force them to make a decision. First drive of the game, they're probably sitting there kicking a field goal. And that's a four-point swing in a game you lost by three. So this is an important play in this game. First drive of the game sets the tone for everything. So remember, third and 15, you get the ball to Dalvin Cook, and he just slices through. No one has a tackle on him. Everyone's going to see Tyron Matthew trying to make this tackle, and he's unable to do it. But what most people aren't going to see is the fact that it got to that point meant you already lost this play. And you lose this play the second Pete Werner loses his feet. You have to keep your feet there. You have to maintain that lane integrity because you have a blocker coming over here to Tyron Matthew. He's going to have to work around that, and the only way he can work around that is underneath. He can't go over. Otherwise, Dalvin Cook's going to have a free lane to the end zone. He has to maintain his leverage, and so you're counting on Pete Werner holding up here. He is effectively taken out of this play, not a factor. And so you see what happens here. You have a blocker <laughs> that's waiting to clear Tyron Matthew out. This is not how you expected to have to cover this play. And the fact that he gets around this blocker and actually gets hands on Dalvin Cook, it's actually pretty impressive. But, you know, you already lost when Pete Werner lost his feet. So you have to keep, keep in mind that it's not always the final person <laughs> trying to make a tackle that made the mistake. In this case, you know, you, had, you needed your linebacker to keep his feet give some ground, and and at least fence in Dalvin Cook to drive him toward the rest of the defense. Wasn't able to do that, and that's where that touchdown happened. But that was just one example of, of Pete Werner in coverage, and I think that he did a lot better throughout this game than he showed in this clip. You know, that's tough. It's a, it's a good block by the Vikings offensive lineman, and, you know, you, you look at it, and it's teach tape, right? It's, it's a situational thing. The only thing that I think he did wrong here was not understand the down and distance or at least not play like it because he's trying to get upfield when in reality, you know, they need 15 yards. It's a screen pass. You don't have to blow it up. All you have to do is make sure you get around your block and tackle the guy. And that's what he didn't do, you know? And, and so that's, yeah, I put that on him, but you know, he had a lot of, he had a lot more good reps in this game, but you know, as you watch it, it became very clear that they were just going after him in coverage whenever they were able to get him isolated right here. You have Dalvin cook on the edge. I think that's Paul Sandibo who drops late. And so, yeah, I mean, you're saying, okay, you're you're chasing across the field. I got Dalvin Cook matched up with a linebacker. You know, albeit a fast linebacker, still a linebacker, and he's able to outrun to the edge and make a nice gain here for a first down, right? Pete makes the tackle short of the end zone, but that's what you saw a majority of the first half. And I asked Pete about this uh, when he spoke to the media today, and uh, here's what he said. Hey, Pete, you know, it seemed, especially in the first half, like the, you know, they were trying to target some of the linebackers in coverage. Is that something you saw against the Vikings? And, you know, how do you feel like the linebacker group as a whole has held up in coverage thus far? I think we've, we've uh, played strong in coverage. Um, they were, I did feel a little bit of, of that. Um, they had a, they had a very good game plan, but I thought as far as some of the positions that we were in, that we executed uh, very well. And um, if you just, Look at that game. Uh, you got to go out and execute. And if you're put in tough positions, then you got to look and, and see the next play. But as far as our performance, obviously, there's things that we can adjust and and, and do better uh, with. But um, as far as a linebacker play, uh, I think uh, we executed in some of those situations very well. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, he, he acknowledged it. You know, they were going after the linebacker group. And when a team is kind of game planning to do that, it's up to the linebackers to cover, right? They have to be able to cover. And you know, I think that for the most part, he was able to do that. This last play, I think, is kind of interesting because how many teams drop a wheel route to the fullback here? This is CJ Ham coming out of the backfield 
Pete Werner matches up in coverage, chases him, does a good job in coverage, you know, and they throw it. You know, usually you'll see that uh, that that route run. It's not going there. You know, that's a clear out to kind of make space in the underneath. But the Vikings actually threw it to their fullback CJ Hammond, and and Pete Werner held up. Good for him. You know, and that's just that was a trend, and I thought he handled it pretty well. See another one here. Adam Thielen's coming across. Yeah, this was an interesting one because Marshawn Lattimore actually, uh, I don't want to say he blows his assignment, but he's very aggressive on this third down to keep the ball out of the end zone. So Justin Jefferson was wide open because Marshawn breaks on this early. If Kirk sees that, he's able to just lob it to the back of the end zone for a touchdown. Instead, he goes short to Thielen. You can see Justin Jefferson not happy about it at the back in the back of the end zone. But either way, the reason you're throwing this is because that's the game plan, right? You're isolating Pete Werner in coverage against Adam Thielen, and you're going to it, and you're, and you're hoping he can beat him. But as you can see, before that ball is even there, and this is where Marshawn is excellent because he's aware of what's happened. He's seen this throughout the game. He knows that they are trying to isolate the linebackers in coverage. So he's getting upfield before Kirk Cousins can even do it. And he, Adam has no chance here. Marshawn actually makes the play. But yeah, I, I'm interested to see how many teams kind of mimic this going forward because you were able to get some nice gains. Now, this was a, this was kind of an unfortunate one. Now, if you remember, right after the Deontay Hardy fumble on that punt and first play, Justin Jefferson gets wide open all by himself on the right, right side of the field there. He's just running an over route, nothing complicated. It's not even a pick play. This is just an example of, you know, sometimes you run into each other. <laughs> Sometimes you trip over your teammates' feet. And that's what happened here. As Marshawn Lattimore tries to tries to chase Justin Jefferson, tries to shadow Justin Jefferson, and Pete Warner tries to tries to drop uh, up the seam. This is Justin Jefferson, and he's just gonna come through here, run a little over, and he's gonna end up by himself. Watch what happens about here. Pete Werner and Marshawn Lattimore just wipe each other out, completely destroy any chance you had to cover Justin Jefferson on this play. A guy who has already been torching you, right? I think that's what gets you a little scrambling here is, you know, you, you know you, you, have to, you have to get up on him. You have to cover him. You get a little antsy, and that's what happens. And he's just, he's just coverage bust wide open, you know? Yeah, that's frustrating. That was actually a few plays before the third down stop that you held him out of the end zone. That was the one thing in this game that you can look at and say, man, that was impressive, was keeping the Vikings out of the end zone as many times as you did. They kicked five field goals. If one of those field goals ends up being a touchdown, this game isn't as close. This game probably doesn't come down to the wire. Keep that in mind. Here's one more, and then we'll switch the topic here. You want to know about a guy who leads the league in solo tackles? <laughs> this is why. You know, he's blocked here. He's heads up with alignment, right? This should be an advantage for the offensive line. It is not. He skirts around it. He's able to make a play on Dalvin Cook to the edge. And that's why that that initial play that we looked at is so frustrating because he is good in that situation and keeping his feet and fighting off a line or fighting off a block, standing it up and going to make a play. That's what he wasn't able to do on that touchdown, but is what he does as well as anybody here. So that's why it was such a big mistake in my opinion. Let's switch topics to, in my opinion, the play that really set the stage for what ended up being a three-point loss here. <laughs> and it's the fumble by Andy Dalton at the end of the first half. Now, a few things to keep in mind on this play. It's first down at your own 25-yard line. This is not a down where you need to be super aggressive, that you need to be ex extending the play. This is a down where you're just trying to make sure something tragic doesn't happen, right? You're just trying to make sure you're not losing 10, 15 yards and getting getting back where you need to go. And that's just not, not what happens. Now, when you look at this, this is not terrible pass protection. This is Andy getting a little antsy and trying to spin out of the pocket. If you're Andy Dalton and you're a 35-year-old man, the second you have to consider spinning, you should already be down on the ground. And this was just, it was just a horrible play by him. And one of the reasons you have him on this roster is to not make stupid plays like that. Now, you might say, you know, he had a solid game outside of this play. And you're right. You're right. I am probably over 
penalizing Andy Dalton's performance because of this play. But the reason I'm doing that, and and you, if you're being honest with yourself, this is true. If this had been Jameis Winston making a bonehead fumble on his own end of the field that directly led to points, he would be torn to shreds for it, right? He would not be getting a pass for a terrible turnover such as this. So I think it's only fair that we hold Andy Dalton to the same standard because this was egregiously bad at the point of the game you were at. And like, what what, what are you trying to do? Like, what, what is the best case scenario here when you pull the ball down and you spin out? Just fall, man. Just fall. And the thing is, too, if he had kind of kept his head a little bit, there's a play to be made here, right? Just watch how this pocket kind of develops. This is not terrible pass protection. You have room to step up. You have room to navigate. You know, nothing is open right now. If you are able to extend this play and get a maybe a second, you have a chance to hit. I believe this is Jawan Johnson. And so, you, you know, you have guys you can throw to if you can extend this play. The issue is Daniil Hunter gets his hand in Andy Dalton's face and Andy, Andy panics. But as you can see, he's going the wrong direction. If he's able to kind of keep his feet and understand where he is, there's room to just kind of slide to the left here and allow these routes to come open, which they do, right? These are these are both options. And the only reason you're not able to throw to him is because you've already started spinning in the backfield um, rather than extending the play. And that and that's frustrating to me because these this is the type of thing that you expect Andy Dalton to be good at. And that really cost you, and I'm not going to give him a pass for it. Now, he did play reasonably well in this game outside of that one play, right? He had a few that probably could have been intercepted. We're going to go through some of those, but he was solid. He got the ball out quick. The Saints really kind of changed their dynamic on offense to address that. And I have to give Andy credit here. When you're running a read option and the defense is just not caring at all, they are not accounting for the quarterback. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Peyton Manning. I don't care if you're Tom Brady. I don't care if you're Drew Brees. I don't care if you're Andy Dalton. When the defensive end completely ignores you, on his own read, keep the ball. And that's what he did here. And, you know, balls to the wall. Andy Dalton is like, I'm going to outrun Daniil Hunter to the end zone. Not a terrible uh, effort. can get there. Still, I appreciate, I appreciate the, the candor. And because, you know, when you, when you do that, it forces the defense to account for you the next time, right? And, uh, you know, good for him. <laughs> I'll give him credit for that one. One more really negative point, and we're going to go into a break here. Deontay Hardy, I don't know what's going on with him, but it's not good. You know, he's not he's not holding up his end of the deal here. Um, he's not incorporated into the offense as much as I'm sure he wants to be in a contract year. He's on a he's on a second round tender, which pays a little under four million dollars. And to this point in the season, you know, that's sunken cost. Like that, that, that you have not gotten anything from that investment. You have two kick returns that have not amounted to anything exciting. You have three punt returns. I think one went for six yards, one went for negative three yards, and one went for two yards and a fumble, which is the one in this game. But this is another example of, you know, you, he cost you yards here. And watch. And the reason is, look where this ball lands. And you're looking at a ball that hits the ground at about the 13 or 14-yard line. Let's see if I can pause it right when it lands. This is your all-pro kick returner. And I get it. The gunner's downfield. You don't have much room for a return there, but you got to catch that ball. Because watch what happens. You know, it's not going into the end zone when it bounces at the 13-yard line. You are just asking for this roll, and it gets all the way down to the six-yard line. And that effectively, you know, Deontay Hardy effectively cost you seven yards on that play by not fielding the ball. And, you know, maybe he got, maybe he didn't track it off the foot well. Maybe he got lost in the lights. Maybe he didn't feel comfortable getting under it. He didn't want to muff it. Whatever, you know, your all-pro return man needs to play better than that. He needs to save you those hidden yards, right? Because that's not going to show up in the box score, but you don't want to be starting your drive at your own six-yard line. Starting a drive at your own 13 versus your own six is a big difference. It changes what you can do. And the Saints went three and out on that drive. This is the muffed punt. And part of me thinks this was Deontay pressing because he knows he, he messed up on that previous punt. So he comes up and he does field this one. Now, good. You want to field that punt because you don't want it rolling another 15, 20 yards. 
But do you return this punt? I don't know. I mean, that guy's pretty darn close to you when you're catching the ball. And, mm, you know, what? you could go either way with it, but you can't fumble in that scenario. You know, it, it's you're not impacting the game in a positive way on in the return game. So you can't turn the ball over. All right. This has been Inside Black and Gold. We're going to have a second segment here. We're going to go through some of the quarterback play and what the Vikings were doing to Andy Dalton that I think you will see other teams uh, bring back. Make sure to subscribe, hit that rating, hit that review button, and stick around here on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There's got to be a reason. here on Inside Black and Gold, brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. And so we're going to get into a few more topics here. The first, you know, we've talked about some negative stuff. I want to talk about some of the pressure that you saw in this game because I think that the the defensive line has been another malign group. There's a lot of negativity about a lot of elements of this team. One of them has been the defensive line. They one sack through two games. And he's seen them kind of pick it up the last few weeks, right? They had three sacks against the Panthers three sacks against the Vikings. And I think that number is not as indicative of how much pressure they were actually able to put on Kirk Cousins in this game. And here's here's a good example. So third and nine, right at the edge of field goal range. They're snapping this ball from the 40-yard line. It is If they get into field goal range, that's three points. All they need is four or five yards for a comfortable field goal. And so you you have to stand up here to, to keep points off the board. And that's exactly what they did. You, know, you don't have a ton of margin here. You're getting pressure here. You're forcing Kirk Cousins to step up in the pocket. If he has another quarter second to hang on to this ball, Justin Jefferson is going to be standing by himself in this vacated area of the field where you have these two clear route routes going upfield and the defenders have to chase him. They're in man. They can't just dump, they can't just pass it off. They have to chase him. And there is no one in this part of the field other than Demario Davis, who is not going to be able to sink that deep fast enough to do anything about this play. So, what's the only thing you can do to stop this? Tackle Kirk Cousins before he can get the ball out. And that's what you do. And you see where, like, all of this space. If he's able to just set and throw, that's a 20, 30 yard gain. Heck, he might break a tackle and take it to the house. You know, that is a huge play in this game because not only do you prevent a big play, you actually push them out of field goal range. We saw in this game, the Saints were ready to kick 60 yarders. I don't know if the, I don't know if the Vikings were going to. We're going to try a 58-yarder if they didn't get any any push there. But you never know, right? You've you've seen it. We saw in this game, Will Lutz was a, made a 60-yarder and he was centimeters away from hitting a 61-yarder. These guys are good enough to do that. So you saved points with your pass rush, and that's you know that's a gold star, and you need to see more of that. So this is an important element in this game, and it was the first drive. The refs did you no favors. The play before this, Calvin Throckmorton got called for a, a, a false start where he you know, tried to say the defensive lineman induced him into jumping. There's some rules that are kind of convoluted, but I think the ref actually did make the right call on, on second inspection of reading that rule a little more closely because basically what happens is if you are on the, the guy jumping into the neutral zone is, a, is on the opposite side of the line, you can't be the one to jump because you know, they're, they're reading through that. Whereas if it was Cesar Ruiz or Eric McCoy that jumped or even, you know, Ryan Ramchek, you could have got away with it. You didn't hear. So instead of third and six, third and 11, so you're running this screen pass. And this play ended up getting called for an ineligible man downfield. And Cesar Ruiz is the one getting called right here, which is uh, frustrating because you picked up that first down. And so let's look. Was he actually an ineligible man downfield? Because the line of scrimmage was the 24-yard line. You get one yard of cushion before you get called for this. And essentially the rule is you have to be within one yard of the line of scrimmage as, a, as an offensive lineman, an ineligible receiver, at the time the ball is thrown. Not when the ball is caught. At the time it's thrown, you have to be within one yard of the line of scrimmage. And as you can see, ball's out of Andy Dalton's hand. Sure looks like he's within that one yard to me. So, you know, this was a bad call. I think the reason this call gets made is 
just how far away Andy Dalton ends up being from Cesar Ruiz by the time he makes the throw. You, If you were just looking at that and didn't know where the ball was snapped from, you'd be like, there's no way he's only one yard beyond the line of scrimmage. But that's exactly what it is. Like You can go back and look where this ball was snapped from. That's exactly where Cesar Ruiz ends up on this play. So he's he did the exact thing he needed to do. He delayed just long enough for this ball to get out before he got past that one-yard cushion, and the refs called him for a penalty anyway. Eric McCoy was not thrilled about this. We asked him about it today, and he basically said no comment because <laughs> he's he's not a guy who wants to criticize the officiating and get himself a fine. But you know, this is just just an example of of a bad call costing the Saints a big man a big moment. And you know, you 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 can make a big deal out of this. It's a situation where you're not playing good offensively. You already put yourself in a third and 11 hole and you had a call go against you on a very close situation. You got to put yourself in better situations, right? That's how you avoid that going forward. One guy who has gotten way more than his fair share of criticism has been Cesar Ruiz, right? We're just talking about him. The, the right guard, he sits inside Ryan Ramchek's shoulder pad and he's been working. He's been working hard. He's been improving, guys. That's what I need people to understand is he has been improving. And I think in a season where so much has gone wrong on offense, you know, outside of week one, he struggled in week one. He has been a bright spot for this team the last few weeks. And, you know, these are the type of plays you're going to be getting out of Cesar Ruiz. And when you go through the tape, the run play, you send J.P. Holtz around, blocks the initial read. He gets over to Eric Hendricks. He creates a hole here. And, you know, he's the reason you're able to break that for, you know, RIP Latavius Murray. He's the reason you're able to break that for five, six yards rather than getting stuff in the backfield, right? So that's that's run blocking. Same guy, obviously, right here over number 94. This is pass pro and kick. You're able to get it downfield to Traquan Smith. These are the advancements. These are the, the this is the progression of a young interior lineman who was behind the eight ball in terms of preparation. Everyone in that 2020 draft had a steeper learning curve because of the restrictions and the practice limitations. And so I think that, you know, you're seeing a guy who's probably further down that curve than you'd want him to be at this point in his career, but he's improving, right? So, you know, maybe we stop trashing Cesar Ruiz every five minutes. I don't know. That's just a suggestion because I think if you watch him closely, if you if if you spend the next game, if you come back and you 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 go to the Seahawks game and you just keep a close eye on him, he's winning his matchup more often than not. You know, every now and then he'll get he'll struggle and he'll get beat. That happens. The off, that's that's the life of an offensive lineman. You struggle once, you end up on the broadcast. You stone a guy ten times in a row. No one says your name. And I think that's that's where you're at with Cesar Ruiz right now. And that is a big step forward for him. Okay, so this is going to be you know the last big thing I get into. If you watch this game, what you saw was, you know, a lot of off coverage, but also, you know, you are not going deep. You know, you are not respecting Andy Dalton deep. So you're sitting on these routes. And when you're deciding to throw them early, that's a problem because there's there was two plays in this game where Cam Dantzler probably should have had an interception and he just didn't have the hands to do it. And this was one of them. You know, Andy's reading this, he's reading this, he's seeing off coverage, he's making that decision to throw early to the little slant route, but hmm, look what happened with Cam Dantzler. He didn't take even the slightest step back off the snap. Watch him at the snap of the ball. He's never moving backwards. He is waiting. He is sitting on this route because he knows he's not respecting that ball over the top. He doesn't think Marquez Callaway is going to go deep and he doesn't think Andy Dalton's going to throw it to him if he gets there. And so you have this. There's nothing there. That's predictable. Here you have it again. Off coverage. He's not taking a step back. Not even for a second. You have that on the other side of the field too. And that's where the ball ends up going. There's nothing there. No one's open. But it's because you're not respecting these routes downfield. You're sitting on them. And I think that's going to be one of the difficulties you get into as you start playing more talented secondaries. It, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard to do, make any production when... Guys are sitting on your route and never respecting that you might run by them. Never respecting it. That very much should have been an interception. You know, this is in the second half. Andy Dolan's targeting Marquez Callaway on the dig. And, you know, Cam Dantzler runs the route for him. 
But here's where you can here's where you can get creative, right? You can start to change up your tree a little bit. You know, a little comeback. He's able to he's able to make some hay there. Andy Dalton goes to the other side of the field. I think he had three deep shots in the game. This was one of them. And this is if you are a Jameis Winston stan, this is a throw you look at and you say, man, this is where you're losing something with Andy Dalton. You have Chris Olave feeling so wide open that he's putting his hand up. And you have Andy saying, okay, I'm getting it to you. Look at the look at the trajectory of this ball. Look where it ends up. I mean, that's not where that's where that ball needs to go. Even if Olave makes a play on the ball, I don't know if he catches it in bounds. You know, and that's that's the trade-off, right? You don't have a guy who's gonna push the ball deep. They're not respecting the ball deep. And so even when guys are open, you're not able to hit it. You know, you you want to say this offense looked a lot like the Drew Brees offense, right? The the uh underneath offense that you had the last couple of years of Drew Brees' career. That's that's true because that's what you have there. It's a nice throw by Andy. It's good work. He has a connection with Marquez Callaway. That is clear. You know, if you go into if you go back and watch this game, the most confident Andy Dalton looked on his throws was when he was targeting Marquez Callaway. I don't know if it's because that's who you work with the most as the backup quarterback, right? You're working with the wide receiver four, five, six rather than wide receiver one, two, three. But you know, it's clear there there is a there is a connection there. So I think if we do end up seeing Andy Dalton start in week five or any, any other games beyond that, Marquez Callaway is going to be part of the game plan. Um, and he should be. So this is the play where you finally take advantage of the fact that they are not respecting you at all um, over the top. And it's a good throw by Andy. It's a good route. Good, good catch by Marquez who does this about as well as anybody, right? He's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not, he's not making anybody, you know, sweat with his, with his open field ability, but man, he goes up and high points the ball as well as anyone in the NFL. And I, and I truly believe that. And that's what he does here. And, you know, if, if you're trying to get him on the field more, that's what you're trying to do. Okay. So that's, that's the Andy Dalton uh, segment of this program. Now, one guy who we didn't talk about, no one's talking about him. Everyone's talking about Latavius Murray. The other practice squad elevation, I thought, was pretty impressive, right? And that's J.P. Holtz who kind of took the role of Adam Prentice. Adam Prentice is now on the practice squad. So they've kind of, you know, J.P. Holtz, I think, will probably end up on the active roster at some point. And the reason is is this, because if you can get your H, your H back to block like this, you're in good shape. Now, that's the thing that people don't tend to realize about these, these, these good runs is it's all often more about the blocking. This is actually the same play that we watched with Cesar Rizzo earlier. And J.P. Holtz, so Holtz set in the edge. Right. That's just some of the film. It's what stood out to me today the most. Obviously, as I said, Pete Warner in coverage, you know, Vikings wide receivers sitting on routes, things of that nature. That's what really stands out to you when you watch this game. And I I am a little concerned about, you know, this idea that, you know, you throw Andy Dalton in there and the, the offense looks slightly better against a very porous Viking secondary. Secondary that has been averaging 418 yards allowed over the first three games of the season. You roll up 330 and you're feeling good about yourself. And fine. You know, the offense did look slightly better. I still don't think this offense is good enough to win games consistently in the NFL. And the reason you bring Jameis back, assuming he's healthy, is because you're hoping that the offense you saw the first three weeks was driven by the fact that his back was broken and he can be a more efficient, um, more dangerous quarterback. If you're able to do that, great. This team looks completely different. If you're if you're plotting, if this is the offense you have, you need the defense to play better because they're going to have to win you football games. And to this point, they haven't won you football games. You haven't had that big turnover play. Um, you know, Tyron Matthew had an interception in this game. It was the first of the season. You know, you 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 still haven't had that big defensive play that sets up points. All the turnovers have been, you know, in the in the your deep part of the field and you know if for a defense to help you win a game that's what you've got to be able to do all right let's go through some questions Saints fan for life are we not using Jarvis you know I think Jarvis was dealing with an injury in this game he did not contribute nearly as much as you would hope um two catches seven yards he did catch that two-point conversion when the Vikings just literally forgot about him he was standing by himself in the corner of the end zone. Andy Dalton found him. Um, hopefully he can get that ankle right because I don't think that Jarvis, a healthy Jarvis Landry has two catches for seven yards in this game. 
Giancarlo de Oliveira Diaz. Minnesota barely blitzed, right? Should we expect he would be better than Winston managing protections and checking out plays based on this game alone as a sample? I mean, it's a small sample size, right? The the Vikings, their their structure is based around, and you can kind of see, here's a good example of it, right? You know, you're not sending pressure, but you're expecting you're going to be able to hold up on the back end, right? This is the This is the show coverage that they're playing. You're keeping everything underneath, and you are hoping that you can generate enough pressure with your front four that when you have six to eight guys lurking in coverage, the offense makes a mistake and you're able to take advantage of it. This time you actually did send five, but you still, I mean, look at this shell coverage, right? You're not letting anything happen over the top and you're forcing them to go underneath. That's just, that's their MO. That's what they're doing. It's partially because they don't have the, they don't have the pieces in the secondary. They don't have a very established secondary. And, you know, Patrick Peterson is their, is their CB one. And, he's well past his prime of being a top end cornerback. So this is where, why you don't see a lot of blitzes because that's not the way this team is built to play. Again, you're seeing this shell coverage where you're just trying to keep everything in front of you and it works. Right? This is how this team is trying to win games. They're trying to force you into throwing the ball where they're set to trap you and set to rob the play. Again, more shell coverage. You got to make it hurt underneath if you can get to the edges of the field, sure. Andy Dalton's not able to make it hurt there. So, I mean, the blitzes are one thing. Like you are, you are trying to establish your protection, block the front four, and then understand where the blitzes are coming from. I think that to some extent, with Jameis Winston in there, the book on him is send exotic blitzes, and he's not gonna he's not going to to make the checks necessary, and it's going to be an advantage for you. Now, not every team is built to do that. I don't know if Jameis had been in there, if maybe you would have seen more pressures. But, you know, that's something that Jameis is going to have to be better at if he's the starter of this football, if he's the starting quarterback of this football team. Was Mark Ingram injured? I think he was injured in the second half. Here's the thing, you know, Mark Ingram had the exact same game as Latavius Murray in week two. He had 10 carries for 60 yards. The difference being they got in the red zone and he fumbled. It was a good punch out by the defender fine. Why did the reaction to that game not match the reaction to this game? You know, Latavius looked great. I agree. But there's a there's a reason that every team in the league ignored him for the first three weeks of the season. You know, uh, he was able to ball out. I think being on a national stage definitely didn't help the Saints in that regard. The timing of the Broncos needing a running back didn't help the Saints in that regard. But you know, I, I'm I'm okay with Mark Ingram. I think Mark Ingram has actually run the ball pretty well. The issue with him has been fumbling. And you want to get Kamara back. Mark Ingram fits better as an RB2 in terms of what you're trying to do at that position. I don't know what the deal is with Tony Jones, but you're going to be fine in the run game with Mark Ingram. You would have loved to keep Latavius around. But if the option for him was be the, you know, be in a kind of crowded backfield where you're going to be at best the RB2 versus go out to Denver, play with Russell Wilson and have, a, you know, I think he'll end up getting split shares with, with Melvin Gordon by the end of the season. I, I understand it. It's a sad day when your backup QB has a better grasp of the concepts of your offensive scheme in just eight months than your starter does after three years in the system. See, I don't know what this even means. Like, what what about that game made you think that Andy Dalton understands the system better? You had seven points on the board with four minutes left to go in the third quarter of that game against a bad Vikings defense. You didn't miss field goals. You didn't. Mark Ingram didn't fumble the ball in the red zone. You just didn't score. You had one drive. You had one drive in the first half of that game that went 10 plays, 60 yards for a touchdown. Right, the Saints have been averaging roughly one successful drive on the first half of every game. Outside of that one drive, you ran ten plays for a total of twelve yards, three punts, and one quarterback fumble. And that, to you, is a guy who is running that offense significantly better. <laughs> I don't see that. So you gotta you gotta figure it out somewhere. But I don't think that that saying, oh, he just understands it better, like. To me, that is a charged way to approach that conversation because you don't know what Jameis understands or what he doesn't. You're making a very, very strong assumption based on what you think. You know, there's some questions about the coaching. There's some questions about the system. 
the the coordinators and I think those are all fair. You got to be better. I think this game you emphasize the short passing game a lot more. You're playing to Andy Dalton's strengths. You ran a tight end screen finally. Adam Troutman got involved. These are some of the things that I think Jameis needs to work into his his attack plan, right? You need to incorporate the tight ends. You need to run screens better. You need to take advantage of your running backs in space. There's no reason he can't do that. He's got to be better at it. Hopefully with the back, he can get healthy and do that. We're going to see in week five. We're going to see in week six. Um, and the fact is, I don't care who the starting quarterback is. If you can't win some games, <laughs> it's not going to matter. You can you can throw Jake Luton out there when you're when you're two and nine. It does not matter who starts a quarterback. You got to go win a game. Whoever does that, fine. It's got to happen soon. All right, that's going to wrap it up for us on Inside Black and Gold. Brought to you by the Lamarck Automotive Complex. There must be a reason. Thanks for everyone for listening. Thanks for everyone who stopped by, added a question. There's a lot this team has to improve on. Hopefully they can do it because I'm tired of talking about losing football on Inside Black and Gold. No one wants to talk about it. No one wants to hear about it. It's miserable. So the Seahawks come to town. The 48-point scoring Seahawks of the Week 4 variety. Hopefully that's a trend that the Saints can stop and they can take advantage of yet another suspect defense. Who's starting a quarterback? We still don't know. But thanks, everyone. Again, I'm Jeff Nowak, WWL Digital Sports Producer. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Check out WWLAMFM.com and the Odyssey app for the latest on the Saints, on New Orleans, on all that stuff. See you, y'all. Peace.